You're listening to the Whole Vineyard Podcast. To find out more about the Whole Vineyard Church, go to wholevineyard.co.uk. Well, good morning, everyone. Good morning. Welcome to all of you and also uh, for those joining uh, online this morning. It's great to see you. Can I just say thanks again to our amazing uh, trustees, safeguarding team. Uh, let's give them a round of applause again. I think they're doing an amazing job. And also, uh, wasn't Rachel's stories last week just incredible about what's happening in our kids' ministry at the moment? So encouraging to see people giving their life to, to Jesus at such a young age. This is what we're all about. And, um, you know, often, Joni and I will, uh, our prayer is when it comes to our kids is help. Anyone else have that as your prayer language? And um, right in the garden yesterday afternoon, um, and uh, I was just sat there having a cup of tea, and um, I noticed our f- Elsie, who's just turned four, was on the trampoline just chatting away, and a minute goes, uh, two minutes, three minutes, four minutes, five minutes, you're still talking. <laughs> and I just said to her, Elsie, who are you talking to? Is there a neighbor through the hedge? Because I'm not listening. And uh, she said, I'm talking to God, stop looking at me. <laughs> I just want to say it's got nothing to do with Joni and I, it's got everything to do with the amazing ministry that's happening in the back. So thank you so much. We'd be absolutely lost without, without them. So. so we want to go on a journey as a church over the next few weeks um, about what does it mean to be discipled in the area of our emotions, emotional health and well-being? And I want to preface this series just with a few introductory points. First of all, this by no means is an exhaustive covering on the whole topic of emotional health. We'd probably have to take at least a year to do that. And so it's really impossible to do that just in, in a few weeks. So I want to emphasize that this really is the beginning of a journey for us as a church and uh, maybe for uh, some of you here today. Uh, We really want to emphasize and elevate and highlight the importance of being discipled in this really key area of emotional health. And kind of a simple picture I came up with was um, just imagine you've got a can of soup or, or tin of beans or something and you, you get the tin opener on there latched on and you begin to turn and twist and the, uh, the, the top comes off. And, and that's really what we're starting to do with this uh, whole thing for the next few weeks. We're just beginning to um, address it, start to turn the tin opener and to just allow space for us to process and for Jesus to meet us uh, in this area. You know, historically, I think the church, broadly speaking, has been really good at focusing on, say, spiritual health, um, even to some extent physical health, but I think we've been pretty weak at the whole area of emotional health. There's a, a fantastic author and speaker uh, called Peter Cesaro, and he says, it's emotional health and spiritual maturity are inseparable. It's not possible to be spiritually mature while remaining emotionally immature. So as we shoot for spiritual maturity, which is what we want to do as we grow in God, simultaneously with that, it will mean focusing on our emotional maturity. Secondly, I come to you not as an expert on emotional well-being and health, but certainly as a fellow traveler 
in this area. So if our story uh, and some of our thoughts and thinking is we uh, seek to be faithful to what the Bible teaches on it, uh, we're hoping that we don't come across as um, you know, looking from above in any way, but we are fellow travelers in this area and we're, we're walking with you in this whole area. Uh, thirdly, and, and this is one of the main reasons we wanted to address it, is that um, I think this is particularly relevant with our cultural um, moment, um, especially as we've been uh, processing what does it mean to have lived through and are living through a pandemic uh, and the emotional and mental wear and tear that that has uh, produced and the impact that has had on us. And so we really want to help not just us as a church, but actually be a grace outpost and a help to our wider community. So those who you do life with, who I know are struggling in your places of work or wherever you do life or in your neighborhood, I think we could all tell uh, each other of people that we know in our vicinity of um, severe emotional and mental ill health because of the pandemic that wasn't even, we weren't made aware of before. Uh, and we, we could certainly testify to that, many people that we know. And so we want to uh, give language uh, to try and help us process so that we can help disciple uh, other people. Fourthly, God is committed. And at times I've doubted this, and this is why I want to say it, because it sounds like an obvious point. But God is committed to your emotional and mental well-being. And he wants you to flourish. Okay, so even in our darkest seasons of doubt, where we don't feel that faithful, that you know, we're going to get through whatever we're going through at the moment, you need to know that God is committed and wants you to flourish in this area. And finally, and uh, this is good news, even though it sounds like it's bad news, I believe the quest for your emotional health is the beginning of your undoing. And I don't mean that in terms of, well, that doesn't sound too good for a Sunday when I've come for some encouragement. What I mean is, is, we, is you are serious, I'm serious about going on this journey, is that um, things will be shaken inside of us. Uh, we will become undone in many areas of our life, but the whole point of that is, is that begins the process and the journey of healing for all of us. Unless we're transparent and open and often... Um, come to a place of real contrition and brokenness of heart and repentance is uh, we will not find the wholeness and the healing that God wants us to have. So that's just some introductory points for you. So let me ask you a question this morning. How are you? And uh, often when I'm asked this or I ask other people, you know, the, co the common response is I'm fine, a little bit high intonation, in our, in our voice, um, but how are you really? How are you? And how you respond to that question is probably quite telling in terms of what camp you find yourself in when it comes to your personal convictions on emotions and emotional well-being. You see, I, I find there are, on the whole, two camps when it comes to our emotions, and I think we have the tendency to go to one of these two camps and to one of these two extremes. Number one, either emotions are bad. And I think a lot of this has been taught in the church, and I think that's been really poor in terms of our discipleship of emotional health, but 
we've been made to feel that our emotions are negative. So we do not learn how to process our emotions well if we have innately a view and a narrative and a script that emotions are bad. So maybe you were taught and discipled that emotions just aren't part of the Christian faith, that it's kind of separate, it's segregated, it's not really intrinsic to our discipleship with Jesus. Um, Many of us have experienced a discipleship where you're taught, um, maybe even subconsciously, to deny your feelings all the time. To, to push them down, to deny your feelings. That's just your emotions talking. Has anybody heard that? That's just your emotions talking. Just ignore them or get a grip or just stop doing what you have been uh, doing. And so often, uh, to, as a facade, we, we deny, we may joke, uh, we, we often hate silence, but all those are kind of barriers and facades and masks to embracing healthy emotions. And, um, and so maybe you were discipled and brought up that uh, emotions are bad. Or in the other camp is emotions are everything. Emotions are bad or emotions are everything. Your feelings are your GPS. Your feelings are your truth. Your feelings are everything. How you feel emotionally about something has to mean that that is the correct Thing. That is the right thing. And you are to do you. And I think um, as a millennial born in 1981, I, I feel pretty much torn actually between both camps uh, in terms of my walk with Jesus and discipleship. But especially as we look at Generation Z or Generation A and uh, certainly my kids and the emerging generation, the fact that emotions are everything is, is paramount. Um, and so there's an encouragement there to... Uh, Whatever you feel is your truth. And um, I think both camps have not been discipled how to do emotions well. And so let me um, come to a foundational point that we almost um, center our thinking on. It's this, emotions matter. Emotions do matter. Emotions are really important because it's part of our makeup It's what it means to be intrinsically human. To be a human being means that we have emotions, that God made us to have emotions. You think about the the Holy Spirit. He has a will. He's a person. He can be grieved and quenched. There are emotions there. It's, It's what it makes you, you and me, me. And we could look at numerous examples in the Bible of emotions. We could look at some great stories in the Old Testament, we could just open any of the Psalms up and it just speaks of emotion, doesn't it? Uh, You look at the life of Jesus, you know, he wept, he got angry, there's righteous indignation. And I just want to zoom for a moment on a passage in Mark 14 which looks at one of the most amazing emotional moments that Jesus faced. It's in Mark 14, verse 32 to 38. And it's the moment where Jesus finds himself before going to the cross in Gethsemane. Let's just read these few verses. Starting at verse 32. They went to a place called Gethsemane. And Jesus said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. He took Peter, James, and John along with him. And he began to be deeply 
distressed and troubled. Highlight that. This is Jesus, okay? Distressed and troubled. My soul, so your mind, your will, your emotions, is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. He said to them, stay here and keep watch. Going a little farther, he fell to the ground and prayed that if possible, the hour might pass from him. Abba, Father, he said, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. Then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Simon, he said to Peter, are you asleep? Couldn't you keep watch for one hour? Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. I don't know if you've ever experienced that. I know I have many times where the spirit really is willing, but the flesh feels very, very weak. You are not alone. Look at some of the language and the terminology that Jesus, the Son of God, the perfect one, the sinless one, uses. Jesus is going to the cross and he will take on the sins of the world and he is essentially saying, take it away from me. Take it away from me. I think it's one of the most human and emotional portraits of Jesus just in this text. Here, it tells me that clearly to be human, Jesus was fully divine and fully human. To be fully human is to have emotions. And Jesus wasn't afraid, was he, to share his emotions or have his feelings or struggles displayed in front of the Father and indeed other people. And I really believe that the power in emotions is just a starting point, is that emotions are an incredible gateway for you to meet God, not for us to ignore our emotions. It's the language of the soul and reality, and it's really where emotional health begins and starts for us. It's in that place of vulnerability. It's in that place of transparency. It's where we reveal our struggles, our history, our pain. Everything right there is displayed by Jesus Christ. And so I think Jesus models to us in this moment that we are to invite God into our emotions. So emotions matter and I think from that, we must understand to invite God into the place of our emotions. In other words, what we see here with Jesus is that he processed his emotions, I believe, in a really healthy way. He didn't just feel those feelings, but he actually submitted and surrendered those feelings to the Father. Grief has enveloped him. Grief has saturated him. And he told and communicated and shared his feelings to his friends and to God. He gives his desires to God about not going to the cross. And so in that, you can see, can't you, there's a posture that we're to model our lives off Jesus of surrendering and submitting even, yes, our emotions and our feelings and our desires. However raw, 
how often untheological they may be, just read the Psalms. And so often it's kind of like we respond, how are you, with a Bible verse, don't you? Uh, you know, if you're really struggling and someone comes to you and just says, you know, um, for God works everything out together. For those who love him and accord according to his purpose, yeah, that's truth, yeah. But has that really helped anyone in that moment? I'm not sure that it has. So Jesus, these desires he was having were actually not the desire of his father because this is not the purpose of why Jesus would be sent. He came to the earth for this purpose, to go to the cross. And so actually you have a, a, a junction, you have an opportunity where Jesus could go another way with his destiny if he bowed down to his emotions, but he processed his emotions and went in the right direction. They're not theologically correct, as I say. Is there another way, he's basically saying. Is there another way, Father? And I was thinking, hey, if I was there and I was one of the disciples and I'd been asked to pray, I'd be like, yeah, Jesus, you've got to go. You've got to go to the cross. Have you not read the book of Romans? Okay, you have to go. (laughs) And... um, And of course, that, again, is not helpful. This is Jesus, distressed, troubled. His flesh is weak. He's overwhelmed. And so there's a posture, isn't there, not of denial, not of wearing a mask, not of a facade, but there's a posture of reality and surrender interwoven with prayer and support. Notice that he took his emotions and processed them through prayer, reality, and also brought his friends into it. It's really important that you know that. Now I'd like you to turn to an Old Testament account briefly. Um, It's the story of Elijah in 1 Kings 19. I just want to read a few verses from here. And he says this, Now Ahab told Jezebel everything Elijah had done, how he'd killed all the prophets with the sword. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, may the gods deal with me be ever so severely if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like that of one of them. Elijah was afraid, ran for his life. When he came to Bathsheba in Judah, he left his servant there while he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness. He came to a broom bush, sat down under it and prayed that he might die. And listen to this, I have had enough, Lord. The great prophet Elijah communicating with raw emotions. I have had enough, Lord. He said, take my life. I'm no better than my ancestors. Then he lay down under the bush and fell asleep. All at once an angel touched him and said, get up and eat. He looked around and there by his head was some bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. He ate and drank and then lay down again. The angel of the Lord came back a second time, touched him and said, get up and eat for the journey is too much for you. So he got up and ate and drank. Strengthened by that food, he traveled 40 days and 40 nights till he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. There he went into a cave and spent the night. The story of Elijah has been a profound story that has shaped my testimony in my life really for the last six months. And I just want to share a little bit of a personal testimony with you all. And um, I'll talk more about this with Joni tonight. 
But like Elijah, um, just before we had our recovery sabbatical, uh, I ended up in a cave, a cave of essentially uh, burnout. Uh, The last uh, 20 years of pastoral ministry, um, coupled with extremely attritional last few years, meant that I had reached uh, what many would call the dark night of the soul. I remember when uh, David Flowers, who's the, uh, my overseer, and he came and spoke to you and told you that we were having a sabbatical. Uh, for that first month, from the, the first day when he said that, for a month I, I could not even pray. I couldn't read my Bible. Uh, I couldn't listen to a sermon uh, for about a month. And because of that, God had to find another way to speak to me. And so I, I sat for the first week and watched a documentary, a HBO documentary called 100 Foot Wave. And this was about um, uh, surfers, uh, great world champion surfers, in particular one guy, who, whose quest was to surf a wave that was 100 feet tall, which is very, very tall. Okay, we're not talking a few feet at Bridlington Beach. We're talking some big dogs here. And, uh, you know, some of the records have been, I think, 70 feet, 80 feet. And as I'm watching it, um, because God will use a lot of interesting people and interesting mediums to get your attention. As I'm watching this, I'm like, this is me. For particularly the last few years, I've, and I worked out, I went through this with my therapist, about 30 attritional waves that I'd been through some 15 foot, some 30 foot, some 60, some felt like 100, I don't know. And it's not necessarily a 100 foot wave that sends you into a cave, but it could be just a simple thing. It's like the, um, you know, the illustration of a, a small stone or a pebble in a rucksack of rocks that you're carrying. And it's all it takes is that one little pebble for you to, be, to, to keel over and to be knocked over. And eventually, and you see this in this program, is that as they're trying to surf these waves, is that they, a lot of them get wiped out and they end up on the, on the beach, completely wiped out. Some die, some are disabled for the rest of their life and end up in a wheelchair and break their spine and so many different injuries uh, because of the danger of what they're doing. And that's really emotionally what had happened to me is that I'd been surfing various ways, I've been spinning various plates, I've been trying to manage various responsibilities to the point where if there was a, you know, the petrol gauge on the car is, I was on empty and I hadn't realized I'd probably been on empty for quite some time. And like Elijah, there'd been this journey, just like Elijah, it's amazing. Spiritual high, the church is in incredible shape, um, that wasn't an issue, um, thriving. He'd you know, dealt with these prophets and on such a spiritual high was Elijah and then it just took one thing, one incident. It was this person, Jezebel, coming after him, threatened him and then he just ran and said, I can't do this anymore. And you kind of think it doesn't make sense and that's the problem with emotional ill health is that it doesn't make sense. From the outside, looking in, it's like, well, come on. Look at your life. You've, you've, you've got so much to be thankful for. You've got so many blessings. You know, count your blessings. And you can go through all this narrative, but still it doesn't help because 
in, internally, you're, you have nothing. You're, you're just, you, you can't sleep. You just want to cry all the time. You, there's no sense of hope. Uh, will I ever get through this? All these different things. And so with Elijah, you've got Jezebel hunting him down, and then he ends up in a cave alone. And what I love is that even though he said this, the Lord tends to him as the Lord does, provides a bit of food for him. And that's what the Lord began to do with me. He began to heal my wounds and help me by just tending to me physically, tending to me emotionally and spiritually and mentally, and started to just, as I laid bare, as it were, before him, um, he began to heal me and show me things and give me lessons and restore me like Elijah, eventually back to his calling. Go back, it says later on, in the passage, go back to where you came from. Go face that stuff. And interwoven in that, um, that moment was also the background of another illustration, which I think may be helpful for you, is that uh, in July last year, moving house, I'd um, herniated my bowel, and so I had to have an emergency hernia operation. And uh, that went well, um, but I was finding I, I had no strength afterwards in that area, so I couldn't lift even a kettle of water was bringing a real tear in that area. And so we had a real practical need in that uh, we were about to have George in December and um, I needed to be able to lift a pram and carry certain things. And um, it was so embarrassing because I was saying that six months. Every time we'd go supermarket shopping, uh, I'd make Joni, who was at that point probably seven or eight months pregnant, carry all the shopping. And because we're male and full of pride, I'd have to tell the story every time we went out <laughs> to the shopkeepers saying, look, no, no, I'm, I am, you know, I'm not someone who's just letting my wife carry this. Uh, I have a herniated bowel. Oh, yeah, whatever. <laughs> so really, no, I do. And Jenny really wasn't helping me out in those stories. Anyway. And so I really went on a, a journey, and this is some of the stuff we want to talk through in the next few weeks, of rebuilding core strength. That's what the doctor and uh, my physio said to me, he said, look, we're going to have to rebuild core strength. And so that was really hard. I joined a gym, and, and so I've been going twice a week uh, without fail since then. Uh, so that's, what, five, five six months. And um, that has been a game changer for me. Uh, we do not compromise on that. That is part of our habit and routine and rhythm. And we just put it really high up in terms of priority. And, um, and so I had to um, do cardio and weights to rebuild my core strength. And I learned this in that whole moment, that emotional ill health, wherever that finds you, insecurity or burnout or anxiety or worry or fear, whatever that is, I learned that it is not failure. It's not failure to feel those things. It's not failure. It's not weakness. And you've got the devil, because, and we haven't got time to go into it today, but there's a big spiritual warfare in this. You've got the enemy whispering, you, you're no good, you're a failure, you're weak, you won't amount to much, you've let people down, and then you start to believe those narratives and it becomes formational in terms of your character and in terms of your identity. You start to believe that, so you become that which you listen to. And so rather than becoming what Christ is like, his yoke is easy, his burden is light. 
as you come to a place of carrying, as Hebrew 12 says, unnecessary weights and burdens in your life. This isn't a malfunction of your mind. This isn't weakness. This isn't failure. This isn't who you are, John. But let me tell you what it is. All the emotions you're experiencing right now are signals. That's what they are. So if you want a definition of what emotions are, they are signals communicating, God's way of communicating to you. Just for instance, have you ever felt a certain level of fear, particularly when you're younger, maybe when you're like crossing the road, or that fear when your kids and you're starting to teach them about crossing the road? That's not wrong. This is stuff that God has placed in us which is there's a healthy level of fear, there's a healthy level of stress, there's all this very complicated stuff, but emotions are signals. So the big question for each and every one of us is that when we begin to feel something, and this is the journey I went on, whether it be anxiety or depression or fear or bitterness or anger or lust, is why? These emotions, these signals, the the big question is why? Why am I feeling a certain way? And so often when we have an emotion, we do not respond, but we often react where we may blame a circumstance, we may blame a situation, we may blame somebody else, we think of excuses, we may blame God, we may blame the devil, but actually the first question is, what does this emotion right now reveal about my inner world and inner life? The inner, like the interior of my life. What is it communicating? So often we dismiss it because our internal life is like an iceberg. It's 80% of it's hidden. And we just portray, whether that's in the physical or the spiritual, we often portray this 20% of what people can see. But actually, the, the, the deep fabric of our life is often unseen. So for instance, I was trying to think, I was talking to Josh this week about a really simple illustration. Someone could come to me after this sort of with an email or talk to me and say, look, John, I hated your talk. Here's why, and give me a real criticism. And my emotional response to that will tell me not what they're saying, but it tells me a lot about where I'm at. So if I'm really insecure about that and I need, you know, I need to go home and say, Joan, I don't care if it's rubbish, just tell me my sermon was the best one ever. And just, just or you stroke in my head and just tell me and uh, sing to me. Um, <laughs> it's what I often get Joni to do, it's part of my healing and emotional well being. And so, that's a bit weird. Uh, <laughs> I've gone from the counselor to the public domain. Um, and so, it tells me a lot about my, where do I place my confidence? Is it anchored in? other people's views of me or how God views me and what can I learn from people and, and all these kind of things. Maybe it's through social media, someone upsets you. It's like, the first thing you do is I'm going to, in a passive aggressive way, write something on Facebook which lets out my true feelings. <laughs> and Christians are really bad at that. Um, they do it all the time. In fact, our last national conference two weeks ago, we got rebuked. Uh, as, a, as vineyard pastors throughout the movement from our uh, national director about this. 
about just putting really unhelpful things on social media. Because um, people just, it's like adding fuel to the fire. Oh, they said that, let me say my comment now. And it's just really, really unhealthy. And I think how we react in that first moment is really, really important because I think it communicates what is going on. And I think that's really a projection of, of your false self, not your real self. In other words, do you have a number of narratives or lies or idols or addictions or attachments or words that have been spoken to you or over you or uh, even to yourself or things you've watched and habit habitually these things have, have made who we are. They've, and it starts from when we were young. The words spoken over us and to us. You know, you'll never amount to much. You're a failure. You're not wanted. You're not good. How many thousands of people in our beautiful city of Hull are now facing horrific brokenness in addictions and identity because of things in their childhood. And we start to tell ourselves, and that's why they're responding, reacting in the way that they are, and it's what we all do. It's what we all do, and often we do it with a kind of a Christian filter, but at the end of the day, we're doing exactly the same thing. So what we need to have is self-awareness. Uh, there's a, an author called Steve Cuss who, um, I'm reading a book called Managing Leadership Anxiety. It's, it's incredible. And he says this, power over anxiety is an instance of an emotion. Begins when you succinctly identify the sources in concrete ways. It then continues when you tell some friends that you trust. He then goes on to say, by paying attention to what was bubbling underneath and managing it, I discovered new levels of freedom and profound encounter with God's grace. I experienced genuine spiritual breakthroughs of patterns that had previously kept me stuck. And so I want to encourage you this morning, and again, we're not, this is just opening the tin, is to ask why, is to be aware, have self-awareness of our emotions and our emotional health or ill health right now. Do not hide it, do not bury it, but let them be signals that are communicating what is going on and ask the question why. What is bubbling underneath? And notice with Jesus, he told people. And if I can just say, if you ignore everything else I've said today, please. And this is why uh, even in um, outside of the Christian world, people will say, look, if you're struggling, tell someone. It, it breaks the power of it. It brings it into the light because it, it feasts on darkness. It feasts on being hidden. And when we just can get alongside someone and say, look, someone who we trust and say, look, I'm actually not okay. And that's what happened to me. You know, we went on a Zoom on that morning and we went to our overseas and I said, look, I, I need to tell you. And Joni just said on my behalf as well, he's not okay. I'm not okay, I'm, 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 I'm not doing well. I don't know what you want to do with that, I just need to tell you. And his reaction was like, you need some, some time out. And so, um, I want to really finish by um, doing a, an illustration. So, uh, I don't know who's got my beach ball. Oh, there he is. Thanks, Dennis. Let's give Dennis a round of applause. Thanks, Dennis. And this I'd nicked from, from our national director. He did this one at, um, 
our conference, senior pastors day at our conference. And, and really, this is um, why telling people and allowing people into your world, which is why we do this in the context of community, which is why we've got a, a head start and a strong start as we process emotional health as a church, because you know, we love each other and you know, God loves us and we, and we want the best for each other. And so often you can't see something, but other people can. And so if I was to hold this ball up to you right now, I would say this ball, the color of these balls is of this ball is white and yellow, white and yellow. And what do you say? And I'm like, no, you're wrong. It's white and yellow. But of course, as I turn it around, blue, white, and red, that's what you were seeing, but I was seeing white, yellow, and white. And I think this is a great gift to us in terms of having to process things with people because they can see blind spots where we can't. And often your soft spot is your blind spot. You find this in families, don't you? You see it on Britain's Got Talent. Anyone watch Britain's Got Talent? You know, you've got the family saying, our kids have got the greatest voice in the world. <laughs> and you hear them, it's like, are you joking? <laughs> <laughs> Come on. It's because, you know, it's our little, our little Susan, and she's amazing. Your soft spot's your blind spot. Wherever you feel a sense of... Uh, attachment or identity or entitlement that has been um, that you've journeyed with for years that will often become your blind spot and so what we need is that we need to do what Jesus did if you want to process raw emotion healthily is submit our emotions to God is that we need to be asking the question why with the signals and we need to get other people involved I'm not saying Okay, so let's go back to the beginning point. Emotions are my truth, therefore I'm right. So let me bleed out on everyone I talk to and say, this is who I am. Not saying that at all, but I'm talking like even a couple of people. So for Joni and I, we've radically shifted how we even do that in terms of, um, I I don't even speak to people and leaders now if I'm not doing too good. I, I speak to them regularly and habitually. It's in the diary without fail so that there's always a point of communicating transparency and accountability. And so I can say to them, hey, this is how I'm feeling, but look, you know me, you know us. Are there any blind spots here? Am I not? Tell me if I'm missing it. Tell me if I'm not seeing something. And I think that's really important that, you, you know, maybe it comes to your, your spouses that they're emotionally detached and they're um, lost on their mobile phones for hours on end and you're thinking there's a detachment here because that's actually how we numb our emotional pain is we detach ourselves and we submerge ourselves in various things and vices. But you start to see that. Other people in community, this is why we always say join a home group. It's a safe place so that people can say, hey, I've noticed this. Are you doing okay? Let's, let's be real. And I just want to say, guys, there's no need to hide here. When we go for a coffee, you don't need to say, yeah, I'm fine. You can just say, look, actually, do you know what? For some time, I've, I've actually been struggling. And I don't know what to do. And this is how, these are some of the signals. Uh, every time I get nudged emotionally, anger spilling out, I'm, I'm short with the kids. I'm finding I just want to numb and detach and just 
do this and that and whatever that may be, I'm just anxious all the time. Whatever that is for you, break the power of it, get it into the light and speak to people about it. And we're going to talk week three about a new pastoral structure that we're putting in place in the life of the church to help us do this better. Because what I do know is that if we just rely on some self, uh, put the onus on ourselves to do is often we can miss it. Because we will we'll persuade ourselves tomorrow morning we're okay. Because we had a good, a good night. And so what we need to do is just uh, maybe think a little bit smarter about how we do these things. So can I ask you to stand and we're going to pray. Thank you for listening to the Whole Vineyard Podcast. We would love to connect with you and welcome you home to church. To find out more, go to wholevineyard.co.uk forward slash connect. And to stay up to date with all that is going on in the life of our church, go to wholevineyard.co.uk forward slash church news and sign up for our weekly mailing. Thanks for listening. We hope to see you soon.